Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for Season 2, Episode 8. And today we are going to be diving into one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is the nutritional aspect of fitness. Now, it's important for me to note here at the outset that I am not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a medical doctor in any way, but I love the science behind all of this. And there is enough out there on the web that we can do our own research. We can make educated decisions about how we use food to fuel our energy, to support our fitness goals, depending on what that goal is. So one of the things I always say on Instagram is you should be questioning everything that you find on the internet about fitness. And that includes me. So I'm here today to share some research that I have done about carbohydrates and Take from it what you will, but follow up with your own research. Always talk to your own uh, medical and holistic professionals to get something specific for you. So this idea, this the idea for this podcast really came out of a conversation I was having with with a friend of mine talking about the way that our weight has fluctuated, our body compositions have fluctuated over the years, and um, paying specific attention to how that has happened over time depending on what we're doing with our diets. Um, but you know, are we counting our macros religiously? Are we eating a more low carb and high fat, high protein diet? Are we eating a more high carb, high protein diet with lower fat? And what kinds of training regimens are we engaging in when we make those dietary changes? So I wanted to kind of dive back into the science behind carbohydrates because we love to hate carbs. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. There's a lot of misinformation on the internet about carbohydrates. They're kind of unfairly vilified. And there's also a lot of promises about how fast you can make your weight drop if you drop carbohydrates out of your diet. And I never think that's a good idea. I don't think that it's ever safe to go entirely without any of the macronutrients. But what we're here to talk about today is the role that carbohydrates play in our bodies, what they do, and how what they do affects what you're seeing in the mirror. So I want to dive into that. It's going to be a really good episode and stick around to the end because I do have a very exciting announcement that I sort of hinted at in recent podcast episodes. If you haven't been over on the Instagram account at kellym.roach, then you might not have heard about this yet. So stick around to the end and I will share that with you before we wrap up today. So without further ado, let's get into season two, episode eight. It's not a secret that carbs have become the enemy over the last decade or more. Harkening back all the way to the popularity of the Atkins diet in the early 2000s, jumping to the paleo diet, the Ducan diet reportedly used by Kate Middleton leading up to her 2011 wedding, and finally fast-forwarding to the keto diet. On the weight loss side of the fitness spectrum, we've had supermodels like Tyra Banks proclaiming for years that they cut back on carbs to lose weight if needed. And we are inundated daily with the social media equivalent of infomercials, where supposed case studies proclaim weight loss of 20 pounds in two weeks when they cut carbohydrates. 
Now on the strength building side of the spectrum, we have what appears to be mass confusion about the role of carbohydrates in our training. The confusion is compounded by the fact that this is a case where oversimplifying is not the way to go. There's a lot of science and specifics involved. I talked in an earlier episode about the primary danger of oversimplified health solutions being that key information is left out to make the solution seem easier. The role played by nutrition in achieving your training goals is very specific to your type of training. There is no one-size-fits-all recommendation. So I thought it was time for a little science 101. We need to understand how our bodies use carbs, why the rapid weight loss that accompanies the first weeks of a low-carb diet is just an illusion, and get some clarity around where we've been missing the mark in our own diet and exercise programs. So let's start with how our bodies use carbs. Every carb you eat is broken down into glucose by your digestive system. Glucose is a sugar molecule. When we talk about blood sugar, we're referring to glucose that is immediately available for your body to use for energy. That is, it hasn't been stored within your body's cells. This is the first place your body looks for energy when it's needed to complete a task. Once glucose has been spent, if energy is still needed, your body turns to its glycogen stores. Think of glycogen as glucose you gave your body earlier that it didn't need and saved for later. Through a process called glycolysis, your body breaks down glycogen to produce more energy. This process occurs during bouts of exercise. The rate at which we deplete our glycogen stores depends primarily on exercise intensity. Short bouts of high-intensity exercise will quickly degrade glycogen stores. However, lower-intensity exercise for longer periods of time will also degrade glycogen stores. It just happens at a slower rate. So far, this seems simple enough. Exercise metabolizes carbs very well, and then we can eat more to replenish what we burned. But this is where the oversimplification sends us off the rails. For sedentary adults, the U.S. Institute of Medicine recommends an intake of 130 grams of carbohydrates per day. You can hit 130 grams of carbs so much faster than you think. On average, a bagel will run about 50 grams of carbs. A bowl of cereal, somewhere around 35 or 30. Sandwich bread, around 20 grams per slice. And a serving of rice will get you about 45 grams of carbs. And these are just simple examples. If you share a pizza with a family for dinner, that's 130 minimum in one sitting. If you grab a snack bar during the day, eat a piece of candy or grab a couple of cookies, it's all racking up. You might be thinking that you don't eat anything like this, and since your dietary carbs are mostly from whole food sources like oats and fruit, that you're winning here. But remember, we're talking about how your body processes carbohydrates, not the glycemic index of the food you're eating, which is where many of the benefits of eating whole food carbs come from. A serving of oatmeal has about 30 grams of carbs. An apple gets you 15 to 20, and just a half cup of granola might have up to 40 grams of carbohydrates. Now, none of this is supposed to scare you off of carbs, but I go into all of this to illustrate that it's not at all difficult to surpass the recommended 130 grams of carb intake, even if you lead a mostly sedentary lifestyle. But if you are active in some way, the question becomes, how much of your glycogen stores have you depleted with physical activity? And how much do you need to consume to replenish them? 
Some take the approach of deliberately not replenishing them because they notice, quote, weight loss when they don't. We commonly hear this referred to as water weight, but I think it's time that term was explained properly. We've established that glycogen is a form of stored glucose. Each gram of glycogen is accompanied by three grams of water. When glycolysis occurs and that glycogen is broken down, the water is also released and we excrete it when we pee. So part of the reason the yo-yo effect occurs is that when we finally get around to replenishing those glycogen stores, those water molecules are retained again and it looks like our weight goes back up. The bottom line, this is a huge reason to understand what's actually happening with your body composition and ditch the scale entirely. It's going to be a far better long-term practice to determine your energy intake needs, that is, how many carbs you need, so you can maintain a healthy, steady store of muscle glycogen to support your training. This, however, is an annoying solution because you can't measure your muscle glycogen stores at home. Most of what we know about muscle glycogen use during exercise comes from muscle biopsy technique. A small bit of tissue is extracted prior to exercise, during, and again after exercise to measure changes in glycogen levels at different stages. So what are you supposed to do to hone in on your individual carb needs? How many carbs do you actually need to replenish those glycogen stores? The answer? It's probably less than you think. Luckily for us, the authors of a 2018 journal article in Nutrition Reviews entitled Fundamentals of Glycogen Metabolism for Coaches and Athletes included a table of recommendations for daily carb intake for athletes performing regular training sessions. It is broken down by exercise intensity with a description of what types of activity generally qualify in each category. For a low exercise intensity, which they describe as Easy activities such as yoga, tai chi, walking, or any exercise done at a light effort where you can easily talk or sing during the activity, your dietary carb needs are 3 to 5 grams per kilogram of body weight. And they comment that normal dietary intake is usually sufficient to restore muscle glycogen content. Let's look at moderate exercise intensity which they describe as one hour or more of activities such as walking, jogging, swimming, bicycling, at modest effort, which means you can carry on a conversation without a problem, but you cannot sing. The dietary carbohydrate recommendation for this level of activity is five to seven grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight. And they comment here that a diet in which at least half of the energy comes from carbohydrate food is usually sufficient to restore your muscle glycogen content. For high intensity activity, which they describe as one hour or more of hard exercise, such as interval training, running, swimming, or bicycling at a modest effort, meaning you can only carry on very brief conversations and you're probably a little out of breath, the dietary carbohydrate recommendation here is 6 to 10 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight. They remark that post-exercise carb and protein intake with high-carb meals and snacks is needed to fully restore muscle glycogen within 24 to 36 hours. And finally, for very high exercise intensity levels, which they describe as very hard exercise for an hour or more, or a very prolonged exercise, such as interval training, ice hockey, soccer, 
basketball, running, swimming, or bicycling at an intense effort. So you can see we're really getting into professional athleticism here, meaning that you cannot speak during the effort. They recommend 8 to 12 grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight. And they advise that post-exercise carb and protein intake with high-carb meals and snacks is needed to fully restore muscle glycogen within 24 to 36 hours. Now, remember that these are generalizations, and they are not intended as nutritional advice or a substitute for recommendations from a qualified professional. But the intent here, again, is to start getting very real about your activity levels and the amount of carbs and really total calories that you consume to support it. Down in the weeds of these studies, I can tell you that the test subjects are generally professional athletes and marathon runners. Those muscle biopsies I mentioned that were used to test muscle glycogen levels before, during, and after exercise were taken over the course of a two-plus-hour training session where effort was sustained at 60% or more of VO2 max. Your VO2 max is the maximum oxygen uptake your body is capable of during exercise. It is impossible to measure outside of a lab, but there is a general correlation between VO2 max and heart rate that can give you a reasonable idea of what percent of VO2 max you're operating at. 60% of VO2 max correlates with approximately 75% of your maximum heart rate. So think the slow pace at the start of a run, which for most of us non-runners means a steady jog. And then I ask you, when was the last time that you steady jogged for over two hours? If you think about that in the context of the chart we just went through, that type of training is going to require more glycogen replenishment than the moderate 15-minute exercise circuit that you follow along to on social media. So where do the extreme low-carb diets I mentioned at the start of this episode come into play? I reviewed the conclusions of a handful of studies that examined the effects of a ketogenic diet on athletes. Now, speaking in extremely broad strokes here, the findings seem to be that while the test subjects lost body fat, athletic performance for endurance athletes decreased, and there were mixed results in athletic performance for moderate to vigorous intensity exercise. There's a lot at play here, and without turning this into an hour-long podcast, I think the high-level inference is aligned with the research discussed about glycogen use and replenishment. On a ketogenic diet, you're depleting those glycogen stores and not replenishing them. While there are lots of adaptations that happen for your body to continue providing you energy, it makes sense that insufficient glycogen stores would have a negative impact on athletic performance. But here again, we're looking at a different type of training than most of us desk workers are engaging in. And whether or not extreme low-carb diets are harmful or beneficial is an entirely different topic than what we're here to examine today. Now, it's my personal opinion that the goal should always be to establish a healthy relationship with all foods, avoiding vilification of any foods, and understanding how our bodies actually use food for energy so we don't get wrapped up in promises of 20-pound weight loss in two weeks or thinking we need to eat like Michael Phelps because we had a hard workout one day. As always, do your research. Question things that seem too good to be true because they probably are and make it your top priority to take care of your body because you only get one. What I love about this episode is that it explains away so much of the bull that is out there on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest. All of these promises that you're going to drop tons of weight if you drop carbs 
It really just means that you are excreting those water molecules as you're depleting your glycogen stores. It explains the yo-yoing effect when you mess around with your macronutrient balance, that's carbs, proteins, and fats, to an extreme level. It also really gets at the core message that a lot of the wisdom, so-called wisdom, that's out there is because someone plucked something from a study and then applied it to the masses when that study might have really only been looking at professional athletes that are engaging in very rigorous training programs. So the point here is that there's this you know common advice that you need to eat carbs right after a workout. And that might be true, but if you haven't just done a Michael Phelps workout for the last few hours, you probably don't need to replenish a few hundred grams of carbohydrates. And again, this is all highly individual, but speaking in broad strokes here, it's just time to get really realistic about what you're doing with your training and understand what your dietary needs are as opposed to just taking in this popular wisdom that was probably incorrectly and even inappropriately applied to the fitness industry as a whole. Now, I promised that at the end of today's episode, I was going to share an exciting announcement for everybody. If you haven't been following along on Instagram, you have not heard about this yet, but I have launched for you guys a workout database. It is an online members-only workout platform. There are over 100 full-length workouts and yoga flows for you to follow along to on your time, wherever you are. They are broken down into target areas, whether you're targeting upper body, full body, lower body. They can be broken out by category. We have HIIT workouts, we have AMRAPs, we have yoga flows, we have rep-based workouts, we have cardio-based workouts, anything that you need. So you can go and click around, take a peek at what's in there before you sign up for membership. Go to members.kellymarieroach.com and your online space is called The Diamond Mine, where we are getting cut and being radiant. You can check out the links on my Instagram. Again, that's kellym.roach or you can go to members.kellymarieroach.com and check out the Diamond Mine for yourself. I hope to see you in there. Really looking forward to it. There's going to be weekly updates to that workout database, so it will always be growing and evolving for you. That is where we're starting. I'm very excited to share that with you. I hope you go check it out. And with that, I'm going to sign off of season two, episode eight, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye.